You're listening to the Community Podcast, episode 140. Reverend Trent Walker wraps up our series on stewardship titled, What's Mine Is. This week's message is titled, Let's Own This. If you would like to learn more or watch the video from this podcast, please visit comref.org. Uh, I want to, I know they're backstage. Hopefully the band can still hear, uh, but they prepared, they had two more songs they were going to do, but because of the time and they knew all the baptisms, they want to make sure that we have time for all of that. They prepared music that they're not doing. So I just want to give God some glory for their work and their willingness to just step back and, and, and let us do this. So let's just give them, they can hear it back there. Okay, those of you who are here just, uh, th- that sounds like a negative. If you're here because of the baptism, but you're not normally here, I just want to give you a heads up. Um, it's money day. We're talking about money today. So um, I'm not going to be asking for anyone to give to this church. That's between you and the Lord. But we are going to talk about God's view of money. We've been doing this for the last two weeks. This is the third and final, uh, for some of you, uh, third and final message on what we call stewardship. Now, that's just a, that's a word that the church uses. Um, so it does, we don't say money all the time. But there's, there's more to it. There, there's kind of three ways of dealing with someone else's property. We've established a couple of, couple of weeks ago that... According to God, every good thing that you have comes from him. And you might go, well, he didn't, he didn't go to work for me. He didn't, he didn't go to work and put in all the hours. You're right, he didn't. But he gave you the ability. Uh, he gave you the cognitive ability, the coordination. Whatever you do, if you work with your hands, if you work with your mind, if it's some combination thereof, God has given you the resource to do that. Those of you who invest your money and you own, you own a business and you reinvest and you risk your capital so that other people have a livelihood and so that you produce products for, the country, for, for, for people in the area, great. But God gave you the tolerance to take that risk. And he, there are some of those risks that could have gone the other way. But because of God's glorious riches and his provident, providential care, he's made it so that you are rewarded for the work that you put in. If God took away your ability, if God took, if something God forbid, if something happened to your cognitive capabilities, your brain, and you can no longer function in the job that you have right now, would, those, would you still be able to produce those kind of resources? Of course not. God is the one who gifted you those talents and gifts. So every good thing, according to Scripture, comes from God. What we learned last week is that money in Scripture is always tied to worship. Now, there's other ways to worship other than money, But money, you're either going to worship God with your money or you're going to worship money as your God. And no one goes, well, I'm going to build a little altar in my house and light some candles and kneel down and pray before a picture of a dollar bill. No, but we have learned from the scriptures that anything that we bend our will or our hearts to that isn't God is a substitute God. And so while we might not call it God, Scripture is very clear. It says you cannot serve both God and money. And he tells us, Jesus himself says, where your treasure is, is where your heart is. And last week we talked about one other thing, and it was that that money uh, economists say that money is coined personality. And one of the reasons it's so hard to give money away is because it feels like we're giving away part of ourselves. And we are. So we're just going to be honest about what God says about your money, which is actually his money. The title of this whole series has been, what's mine is dot, dot, dot. And there are only one of two answers for that. What's mine is God's or what's mine is mine. Anything other than what's mine is God's is idolatry. I don't like it. 
Doesn't feel good. Sounds like a harsh thing to say. So I'm going to ask, I'm going to challenge you before we read this. I'm going to give you a little background on this bludgeon passage. That's what some pastors call Malachi chapter 3 with money. If you want to bludgeon them, if you want to make them feel guilty, if you want to, this is the passage to go to. We're just going to read it. And we're going to hear what God says. And I'm, going to, I'm going to try to explain to you the context in which he said it, within which he said it. But here's what I'm going to challenge you to do. Because I'm not asking for your money. Okay, there'll be one time when we talk about what the needs of this church are or your relationship with this church. We'll get to that near the end. But I'm going to ask you to do this. To check your spirit. I don't care if you look at me. I don't care if you sit with your arms crossed. I just want, when you have a rebuttal to what's being said today, I promise you that everything I say is principle from scripture or scripture itself. When you have a rebuttal in your mind, when you have a little, I don't know about that. I don't know if I, I, if there's a rebuttal dealing with money as God speaks of it, that should be an idea that something, something needs to be checked in your heart. It's not between you and me. It's between you and God. So if we can, what I'm going to do is ask you to own your stuff. I don't mean hold the deed to your house. I mean own it. You know, when, when, someone, when someone confronts me about something, just own it. No excuses, you have military, no excuses, just yes or no. So I'm just going to ask you to own whatever your stuff is. And everyone's stuff is different. Now here's the background of the Malachi passage. Um, uh, we, we love a passage that comes from Jeremiah, Jeremiah 29, 11, for I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you, not to harm you, plans to give you hope in the future. That is a promise and a declaration from the God of the universe for his people. He gave them that promise, though, right before they were sent into exile into Babylon. Remember Nebuchadnezzar, the Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego uh, in the furnace, and Daniel in the lion's den, and, and all of that kind of stuff. That was all, the, God's people had been so unfaithful for so long that God allowed them to be um, conquered and pulled into Babylon, where they served a pagan, demonic king, Nebuchadnezzar. And he told them before they went, he said, you're not going to stay there. But while you're there, you bless those, you bless and they will be blessed. You marry in, you, 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 you prosper and I will prosper Babylon. But don't forget, I got plans for you. It's gonna... And they stayed in captivity to make up for every year they disobeyed God by not keeping the Sabbath year. So God is about justice in that regard. Malachi is after God has released them. Nehemiah um, leads them back and he reinstitutes temple worship. He tells them to bring their tithes and their offerings. Tithing is not the floor or the ceiling, it's the floor. Now I know that's a back, backwards particular way of looking at it for Christians, but tithing isn't the top, it's the floor. So Nehemiah says, this is what we have to do. We're going to rebuild the temple. We're going to rebuild our desolate, you know, Jerusalem's been destroyed and we're going to rebuild the wall. And, and, and he comes in and they get all excited and they're like, oh yes, finally, we're out of captivity. We're coming back to Jerusalem. Yes, we're still this backwater little province in the Persian empire, but, but God says he's going to return. The day of the Lord is coming and they'll get theirs. And then Nehemiah goes back to serve the Persian king to, or the, the Babylonian king to try to make sure that, that those relationships stay good. And God raises up a few other prophets. And one of them is Malachi. And Malachi, after Nehemiah left, the people of, of Israel kind of looking around and they're going, where's this day of the Lord thing? The Holy Spirit's not back in the temple yet. They start infighting. They start breaking their marriage vows. They start worshiping other gods. And they start doubting God's faithfulness. 
And so what's the first thing we do when we doubt God's faithfulness or when life kind of hits? We pull back with the money. And the last thing that we bring back in when we see that God works things out, that he's kept his promises, that he's faithful, is that we begin to, after all that stuff and we're sure, then we'll start being more generous. And God says that's backwards. He says it right here. These people started backing off on blessing God and his worship to bless themselves and to start shunning God. And God has something to say about that. And this is what he says. The Lord... I, the Lord, do not change. So you, and here's a couple of parentheticals here. So you, O descendants of Jacob, are not destroyed. Because God doesn't change, you, them, are not destroyed. He made the promises to Abram, who became Abraham, that you will bless all the nations of the world, and I will bless them through you. You will always be here until my covenant is complete. Because I keep my promises, you're not doomed, he says to the people. So that, that's kind of harsh language from God. Ever since the time of your forefathers, you have turned away from my decrees and have not kept them. Return to me and I will return to you, says the Lord Almighty. But you ask, how, how are we to return? He doesn't answer that question, but he does. Will the man rob God? Yet you rob me, but you ask, how do we rob you? In tithes and offerings. And by the way, tithe just means tenth. In tithes and offerings, you are under a curse, the whole nation of you, because you are robbing me. Bring the whole tithe into the storehouse that there may be food in my house. Test me in this, says the Lord Almighty, and see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that you will not have room to, enough for it. I will prevent pests from devouring your crops, and the vines in your fields will not cast off their fruit, says the Lord Almighty. Then all the nations will call you blessed, for yours will be a delightful land, says the Lord Almighty. Yeah, they're cursed because they decided no to God, yes to self. And the only time in all of the scriptures that God says to test him. Remember when Jesus is tempted by the devil and he's up on the high place and he says, if you just step off, and we're pretty sure it's on, a, on one of the corners of the, of the great temple wall this, and everyone's down there and he said, just step off. If you step off, surely your father will send angels to rescue you. You, you will not strike your heel on the stone. And Jesus says, the, the word of God says, do not test the Lord your God. There's no other time in all of scripture that God says to test him than with tithing and offering. Why? Why would God be so concerned about an amoral currency? I mean, money means nothing. It's amoral. It's what we do with it and what our heart is toward it that, that changes everything. We either worship God with it or we worship it as if it's God. And God knows that. God doesn't need my money. He doesn't need your money. He doesn't need money. You think God has to dim the lights in heaven to save a little money to send someone something? Of course not. He's God. Why is this so important? Why does he say, test me in this and see if I don't shower you with blessing? Because he knows that our natural tendency is to worship something. And what we want to do is worship self. And money is an expression of self. And God says, no. 
So we have this idea of money and giving, generosity, generosity with uh, clenched teeth is not generosity at all. But we have this idea that it's the law, that we have to. I get that. So let's look at that for a second. Um, the law says, here's all these prescribed kind of rituals and sacrifices that you have to make in order to appease God. And we, as parents, we've all done this with our kids. Even my, my lovely daughter, Elise, who we were talking about a second ago, um, even her, we, we, we lay down the law. Dads, have you ever been in the car and you're like, if you don't stop your crying, we'll turn around right now, right? The law doesn't change hearts, it changes behavior. God knows that. It might keep us in line so that we don't go all the way to the wrong side of things. But people will argue, and I've heard this a thousand times if I've heard it once, and you, it's all over YouTube. It's all, there, are, there are people out there that are like, you don't have to tithe. You don't have to tithe. You don't have to tithe. That's an Old Testament law concept. Maybe it is, but it's also pre-law. In Genesis chapter 14, Abram, who does not have a covenant from God yet, that's in Genesis 15, Abram, who, who represents God on this planet, he comes in contact with a priest who's also a king. His name is Melchizedek. And he's kind of a global priest, a global king. He wasn't one of the, one of the children of Abraham. Well, there were no children of Abraham yet. But he wasn't necessarily one who knew God, but somehow he had come in contact with God. And there are some theologians, I'm not necessarily one of them, but there are some theologians that say that Melchizedek, because they don't know when he was born and they know he never died, that maybe he was a pre-incarnate. So Jesus was walking the planet before he was in, incarnated. Okay, maybe. We see that with Jesus showing up in the, in, the, in the furnace with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, that one who looks like the Son of Man was in there with them. I don't know for sure, but I do know that Abram, before there was ever a law, he offered tithes and offering to a priest who's a king. And that role is so important that when, when they make the case for Jesus being a priest, he's a priest in the order of Melchizedek. So before the law, it was already understood that a tenth goes to God and those who represent him. There's the ought to idea of giving, obligation. That's how we pay taxes. Anyone here love the fact that they get an opportunity to pay taxes every year? There's going to be someone just because a token. A token? I, I mean, I, don't get me wrong. If you're an IRS agent, not coming down on you. That'd be a tough job. Because everyone, you knock on their door or you sit down with someone, they all go, oh. They come with boxes. They come with their defenses up. We're obligated to pay taxes. But man, do I try hard to make sure I don't pay any more than I have to. I do pay, like if I get $100 for a wedding or something like that, I pay taxes on it. I don't want, I don't want to worry about it. I don't, want to, I, don't, I don't want anyone coming and knocking for coming up with some reason that I didn't pay my fair share, so to speak. Mainly, it's out of obligation. But then there's Grace. So there's I have to, which is the law, I ought to, which is obligation, and then there's the I get to, and that's a response to grace. We heard last week from a guy named Carl Bart, and he said that, that, that the only response to grace is generosity. If God is prodigal in his expenditure of himself, he gives everything, our only response is thank you, Lord. We respond, we respond in gratitude, which is generosity. So God says, test him. So let me give you a challenge. Before I call us on our stuff, I'm just going to give you a little challenge here. If you're not a tither, if you're not someone who gives 10%. Now, Lynn and I, we broke the 20% last year for the first time in our marriage. 20% off a of gross or net. 
first of all, I don't care. I'm just not willing to risk it. So it's gross. So I'm not, I'm not telling you something that I don't practice myself. And I don't believe that tithe is the floor or the ceiling. I believe it's the floor. Because if you look at the Old Testament and you look at the New Testament, there are, you have your, your tithing. You have offerings. You're supposed to leave the corners of your field, not to harvest those, but so that the poor can come and eat. You're supposed to care for the poor. And you're supposed to bring your first fruits as a way of trusting God. Here's my best. The first of the year, I'm going to trust that you work everything else out. So it's not just tithe. It's tithe, poor, offerings, that's in addition to, and it's first fruits. If you're not tithing, and you want to test God in this. Here's the way you can approach it. Figure out what you're giving. Gross or net, I don't care. Take it up with God. Render under Caesar what is Caesar's. And if it's tax money, it doesn't belong to you yet. Okay, fine. I get it. But you know the other part of that when it says render under God what is God's? You know what is God's? What bears God's image? You. So God wants back what's his. That's every part of you. And that includes your money. So if you're not tithing, again, that's the floor. Here's a challenge. Add 1% per month to whatever kingdom cause you have. And you add it 1% per month until you notice. And then you do it one more month and hold. And see if God doesn't open up the floodgates. If you're not better off, if Murphy, you know, if something can go wrong, will go wrong. If Murphy stops moving into your house. If you don't see how God, he might not give you dollar for dollar, but you might have all kinds of new business. You might have all kinds of things that could go wrong that don't. You might have that 325,000 mile vehicle that goes another 50,000 miles and you were afraid you were going to have to replace it. And you were like, I'm going to hold back. I'm going to hold back. I'm going to hold back just in case, just in case, just in case. There is no just in case with God. Either you trust him or you don't. So add a percent a month until you feel it, then add one more percent and see if God doesn't catch up. And then once he has and you're honest with yourself, just keep adding a percent a month. Here's your excuses. And I've been doing this a long time. Long enough that I have to wear glasses now to read scripture from the, from the pulpit. I've heard them all. I'm not going to give you all of them. But I'm just going to ask you to own it. Just if one of these is similar to how you work it out in your head. Remember Jeff Mannion saying that a heart that feels ripped off can justify anything. We are masters of justifying our behaviors. And I, I'm saying we, I'm not saying you, I'm saying me. We are really good at this. Tithe is a command of the law, not a command of grace. We just talked about that pre-law. Also, I would ask you that if Jesus, and some people say, well, Jesus never talked about the tithe specifically. And you're right, he didn't. There are lots of other things that he didn't mention, but we hold to, hold to. But we got to remember that Jesus is part of the Trinity. He is the living word logos of God. And he was... Father, Son, and Spirit from the beginning have been communicating through the scriptures all along. So while Jesus, when he was walking the earth, may not have spoken, or at least it wasn't recorded, may not have spoken too much. Man, I'm talking really fast. He might, have, might have not have specifically talked about tithe because it's assumed. But he did speak to it as the inspiration and the inspirer of the rest of our scriptures. It's not an Old Testament concept. It's a personhood concept. We are made to serve. And so we're either going to serve God or we're going to serve some substitute, which is going to lead to our destruction. I give or I tithe my time. This is my favorite one. I give, I give of my time. 
Therefore, I don't give of my, uh, of my money. I'm going to just tell you, I'm just ask you to own it. You don't, have to, you don't have to look at me. You don't have to mind eye contact. When you say I give of my time, I say to you, and I'll prove it in a minute, no, you don't. You do not tithe your time. Well, I give 10% of all the time that I have available. Okay, that's uncompensated time. A tithe is actually giving God from your time because you're compensated for your time at work. Time is money, right? I work for this church and I believe I earn every piece of, uh, every bit of money that you pay me. But you, how it works with a salary or with hourly wages, here's your talent, here's, your, here's what the market says that's worth. We're gonna pay you that amount of money for the product that you, you know, for, the, for what you bring to our, to our company and we pay you, this is what we think your time is worth. And so your work life, your money is a certificate for the time that you've been compensated for. When you give of your money, you're actually giving of your time. When you only give of your time, you're not giving of all your time. You're giving of your uncompensated time, not your compensated time. I know that we love that I give of my time. No, you don't. You give some of your time. But you're not giving to God off of your compensated time. I'm not asking for it here. Just asking you to own it. I give as the Lord leads. This is one of my, it's one of my favorite. All of these are my favorites. Because when I first had people say these things, I didn't have any, like, oh, I don't know how to answer that. I give it, Lynn and I ran into a couple uh, billionaires down in Texas, uh, right? Actually, when we were considering whether to, we, I, I preached here, and then the next week this church, the next Sunday this church was going to vote on whether or not to call me. Lynn and I went to Texas to a, for a pastor-spouse retreat. And it was a, it was a big, uh, hundreds of acre ranch in Texas. They had bought it to provide retreats for pastors and spouses. And they bought it from Dandy, Dan Drysdale? Is that, is that what his name, the football? Okay, they bought it. For, but they had lots and they were very generous and they were kind of telling the story about how they came across this property. And here's how they handle it. They wanted to know how the Lord led. So they would get together, they would pray, Lord, give us a number. And then they go away from each other. They don't, they don't leave each other, but they don't talk about it for a week. And they come back. What number did the Lord give you? What number did the Lord give you? If they matched up, that's what they would offer. And every time they did that, they got whatever property it was that they were buying for that amount of money. If that's what you mean that you give as the Lord leads or you purchase as the Lord leads, great. But if it's I'm not going to give until the Lord kind of knocks you on the head and says give to this, why are you ignoring how the Lord leads here? You trust the gospel that's articulated in the scriptures. Your salvation depends on how the Lord leads here. Why do you only listen to the still quiet voice of God when it comes to giving and not the very clear word of God from the scriptures? See, if you're giving as the Lord leads and you're ignoring his leading here, then it's just an excuse. I'll give when I have more or I'll give when I can afford it. No, you won't. You won't. If you can't give a dime off a dollar, you can't give 10,000 off 100,000. Trust me. I had a big argument with one of my brothers years ago, two couple years ago in September. He's getting a huge commission check. And I'm gonna, I'm gonna make up numbers because, I'm gonna make up numbers. He's getting a huge commission check that he worked for, he's been waiting on, he, over two years of work to get, this, to get this deal. And, 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 he, and he's talking to me about it. We're on a boat on Lake Blackshear in, in Cordial, Georgia. And I'm like, um, I want to say something because I'm a pastor and I decide not to. And he goes, well, yeah, we'll be generous with it. We'll, I mean, we might give a thousand, maybe 1500 bucks away. I said, okay, but that's just not scripture. He goes, yeah, it is. I said, no, a dime off a dollar. He goes, you've never written a check for $10,000. I'm like, you're right. I haven't. I haven't. 
It's different. No, it's not. It's not. Lynn and I gave away into the $20,000 mark last year. We've never done that before. I gave away more money last year than my brothers who make more money than I do. Because it's easier for me to do it because I trained the discipline of it over the years. A dime, if you won't give a dime off a dollar, you will not give a dollar off a of 10. If you, and you won't give a 10 off a 100. You won't give a 100 off a 1,000. You won't give a 1,000 off 10,000. You will not give 10,000 off 100,000. You will never give $100,000 off a million. If you can't afford to give, that's when you give. Remember the widow who gave everything? And remember the rich man who Jesus said, one thing you lack, sell everything you have, give to the poor, follow me, and he walked away? Because he wasn't willing to part with it because he was so secured by it. But the widow had nothing. Folks, you can't afford not to give. I don't trust the church. Okay. That's honest. So that means you don't trust Jim Fortney, who manages our finances. You don't trust the elders of our church, the deacons of our church, or the staff of our church. Okay. So if that's your excuse, if that's your reason not to give, whether to this church or any church, whatever church you're part of, I'm just going to ask you to own it. And I want you to walk up to an elder and a deacon. I want you to shake their hand, look them in the eye and say, I don't trust you. Because the church seems out there. The church is us. Does the church trust you? Should they? Do you trust the church? Should you? If you shouldn't, find another church. I'm not being a jerk. I'm just saying, if you, if you don't trust your church where the gospel is preached, where people are prayed for, where children are raised up, I trust the eternal soul of my child to my church, but I won't trust them with a dollar. Something's wrong. And I just want to call it out. I don't care what you give to this church. God does. I don't care what you give to missionaries. God does. It doesn't impact me. I don't know what anybody in this church gives specifically. And I don't want, I know what I do. But I don't want to know. Because I don't want to treat someone differently. But it is my job as God's servant who speaks his word on Sunday mornings to say to you, if you are like the Israelites who went back to Jerusalem after they were in captivity and they didn't get what they wanted when they wanted, so they decided to withhold, and God's call to them is to come back with your money, that's his call to you. Because I, the Lord, do not change. Malachi's people didn't trust God's promises, so they withheld things from God's church. You don't know me well. My wife does. I don't have the ability to tolerate duplicity in my life. If, I, if I've, got, I've got to be loyal here and loyal here in their contradiction, I just can't live with myself. I mean, my heart rate will go. I'll have a resting heart rate of 120. I just can't deal with duplicity. I can't deal with, 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 with things that are supposed to be one way from Scripture. And then we say, ah, just kind of nudge, nudge. We won't deal with that. I would not work for this church if this church did not handle finance as well. Now, that doesn't mean anything to half of you. That's fine. But I trust this church with my money because my money is God's money and this church is God's people. Yeah, we have, this is the one part I'm going to talk to you about our church. We have a construction project going on that, that we've all been a part of. We're investing in children, not, in our, not for something for us to play, but for our children to grow up in a safe, non-mold-infested environment. 
So we have needs. We have needs that, that most of our income, 40 to 47% of our income comes in between November and the end of December. That's fine. But we're going to be shelling out outflow, money that we could normally pay checks, you know, with over the summer, that's all going to be going to for construction. And so it's going to get tight and God will provide and we will be fine. But God says to you about your church, this church, or whatever other ministries, do not withhold your tithes and offerings from God's work. Don't do it. You return to him, he returns to you. The first place we back off when we don't like it is money, and the last place we put in is money. And God says, test me in this. So I'm going to ask you to test him. Put God to the test. feels weird to say, but he tells us to do it. And if you're harmed by tithing, offering, caring for the poor, and first fruits, tell me. Because if God is not reliable, I don't want to preach it. If God isn't faithful and unchanging, I don't want to preach it. Now, if it's your mistake that makes him, it seem like that's a different story. But if you've been harmed or are harmed by giving and tithing, by being generous, because God says so, and you trust him in this, I want to know it personally, because I don't want to preach it if it's not true. But I believe God is true. I believe God is truth. And I believe that he wouldn't tell us to test him if he didn't mean it. So folks, this is a matter of your heart. Not a matter of this church, not a matter of what I want. It's not any of that. And it's easy. I get it. All I ask is like any sergeant to someone in his platoon, if someone in the platoon messes up, no excuses. Own it. Take responsibility for it. Make it right. So if you're not being generous by God's command, own it. Don't make excuses for it. Own it. And then ask God for the wisdom on how to begin to make it right. It's that simple. And it's that hard. Every word I said to you today is according to the word of God. And I don't usually say this at the end of a sermon, but thus saith the Lord. Let's pray. Lord, you want us to be stewards. That means that we are to trust the owner of the property. And we're supposed to invest for his benefit. Lord, you're the owner. And we're supposed to do things according to your way, according to your command, and for your kingdom's benefit. Lord, I ask that you give us the courage to trust you, even to test you. And that you convict us in areas where we're trying to excuse ourselves and justify ourselves. And that you forgive us, all of us, any of us, each of us, where we've fallen short. We trust that you know the plans you have for us because you say so. You plan to prosper us, not to harm us. You plan to give us hope in a future. Lord, I pray that you give us the strength to rely on your promise more than our own provision. In Jesus' name we pray. Through the power of your spirit, for the glory of God our Father. Amen.